0: Persistence is very much like that, which is when there is noise there are a lot of people trying to do what you do and uh, the difference between uh, everybody and the people that last is just that they found a way to survive.
1: AI, a rapidly evolving field that has the potential to transform every aspect of our lives from the way we work and communicate to the way we think about and solve problems. Join me as I chat with the founders, builders, and innovators in the industry about the latest advancements in AI and how they're changing the way we live, work, and interact with technology. My name is Kevin Rosenquist. Welcome to ZeroShot. My guest today is Chandon Maruthi, founder and CEO of Twig, an AI company that's transforming the customer experience. Chandon, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Uh, thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, your, your background is extremely diverse. You were a full stack engineer. You were in sales, consulting. You founded a SaaS e-commerce marketplace, software architect, and you've been working in AI for a decade now. What, what inspired you with all that experience to found Twig?
0: As a founder, Kevin, you are looking to solve real problems. And uh, uh, my experience of uh, being in customer success and my experience in AI um, gave me an inside view of what happens in the support org. And uh, all of us, when we have a problem, we have called into uh, a a Dell or a Cisco or uh, a Netgear and said, hey, I have this problem, what do I do? When you send that email or make that phone call, essentially uh, it's humans behind the scenes scrambling through lots of documents to find an answer. And we did that ourselves to support our customers. And uh, when we saw this new wave of AI um, come into place, we realized that there was a problem that was Uh, not solved for many years, because it was a complex problem. Uh, This new way of technology allowed that problem to be solved. So the combination of a complex problem and uh, technology that was uh, available today to solve it um, allowed us to build Twig, um, which uh, helps us augment uh, technical support agents in responding to uh, support tickets.
1: Was there anything in particular that drove you towards going into the customer support kind of specialty, that specific area?
0: In uh, two of the companies that have worked at uh, right before AI, I worked at a data company where I was um, doing customer success and we were supporting uh, 20 of our customers in uh, the US West Coast. Companies like Uh, Brocade and Broadcom and Netgear and Cisco and HP Um, and all of these companies, what's common among them is they build technology products and uh, they sell those products around the world and uh, we sold into them a data product and um, when customers would hit a roadblock, they would call into us and say, hey, how do I solve this? Mm -hmm. And uh, the response was a combination of going through lots of sources of documentation. Um, It would start with product documentation. It would go into knowledge bases. It would go into historic tickets. It would go into talking to humans to see uh, if you've seen a problem like this before. And then, um, so if you look at the problem, you break it into three uh, stages. There is the, the search and discovery phase, where you find sources that are relevant to this problem. There is the synthesis phase, which is you take all these relevant sources and synthesize that into a concise answer. And there is a response phase where, depending on the customer, you're trying to figure out how do I provide this response? Um, You know, is the customer happy? Is the customer frustrated? Is the customer anxious? How do I consider that when I respond? And we would do that ourselves, Uh, you know, looking up documents, uh, writing long emails, Uh, doing this research. Um, And so we understood this problem, um, having done this every day ourselves. Um, And what we saw was that uh, what is not possible in the past was a couple of technology blocks were missing to automate this process. The first thing is enterprise data today is accessed through, cannot be accessed through one window. You have to go through each vendor to look at it. Uh, So you have a knowledge base, you can search a knowledge base through itself. Uh, You can search documentation with some search ability within the the documentation and so on. And so we had to go through five different sources to look for information. Um, So the the first problem was it was broken in in that there were lots of different tools. The second problem was um, state-of-the-art search is still keyword-based and uh, even though the information may exist in the data source if you do not use the right words we may not find the right information and uh, uh, the new technology that, that changed that was semantic search the ability to uh, search by meaning rather than search by keyword and uh, the the third block of that in fact the The block that is important but not as important is the block of summarizing all of this. So once you have a bunch of relevant information, how do you then summarize that into a succinct answer? So if you look at the time spent by an agent, let's say you spend 30 minutes responding to a support ticket, you would spend about 10 to 15 minutes in discovery. You would spend another 10 minutes in synthesis, and another five minutes in uh, nuanced response. And um, while the last five minutes is still a very important part, the first two boxes, which is um, being able to discover information across lots of sources and the ability to synthesize that into succinct answer was made possible by uh, things like semantic search and uh, things like large language models that allowed us Mm -hmm. to uh, look through a lot of information, um, not by keyword, but by meaning and then to synthesize that into a short response. And those two technologies uh, were just not there and, you know, until a few months ago. Um, yeah. they were not popular, they were not ready to be used. Um, and once they were there, we re- realized this problem that we always faced that we couldn't solve. I'm, I'm an engineer. I would have solved this problem myself five years ago if I knew how to. Um, but uh, this problem that was waiting to be solved was now possible to
1: respond. So how, you had to have a you had to have an inkling before the rest of us, you know, non-engineer types that that GPT was coming, right? I mean, that this did you did you expect did you expect it to be this groundbreaking?
0: No. Um, so I have uh, worked on word embeddings five years ago. Built multiple projects there uh, at Lambda School, a company worked at. So I was an engineer at um, at Zyme, a data company. And then I was an architect at a company called h2o.ai, which built AutoML models. And then I uh, ran engineering at a company called uh, Lambda School. And uh, at both H2o and Lambda School, I was able to use uh, um, AI and word embeddings in very interesting ways. Um, But the technology was just not there. To uh, be used in the way it was, uh, if we can use it today. The fundamental difference are these foundation models. And the uh, beauty of the foundation models is traditional AI has always been algorithms, right? Uh, you think about Random Forest or XGBoost um, or even the word embedding models, which are essentially bag of words or a few other such models. They were. Uh, Data was separate than models, and everybody um, took an algorithm um, from a library like scikit-learn or or something else, or NLTK. They would train their own models and they would put them to use in a private way. Um, This new way of of AI is different in that what is being offered is pre-trained models, which is a combination of an algorithm or a bunch of algorithms and data. And that combination makes it very powerful. The amount of data that uh, GPT-3 or GPT-4 has been trained on, most people don't have hardware to store or train um, or ingest that kind of data. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes this powerful. These models have uh, seen a lot of natural language that has been written in different contexts and are able to use that to both create better uh, representations as vectors, as well as better uh, synthesis as a natural re- language response. And we've all seen that with uh, how nuanced the responses from chat GPT are. you wonder how it's happening. That's because mm-hmm. the combination of um, good algorithms, which were several years old, but really the combination of um, a ton of data being used to train these I think that combination is what was what's new. Uh, five years ago, you wouldn't see pre-trained models being made available in in public. And uh, for me, the big difference, and this may have been done in smaller, um, uh, you know, smaller volumes before, but for me, GPT-3, GPT-4 were all the first time uh, in the uh, you know in the history of public AI that pre-trained models were offered which were valuable out of the box you didn't need an engineer to use them you could have uh, regular people start interacting with them and get value
1: yeah i mean you could you almost forget you're talking to a, 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 you know gpt and not like a customer service agent at times you know yeah that's true it's it's crazy what what's been the biggest challenge for you in transitioning from your previous roles to now founding an ai company
0: so right uh, before uh, starting this uh, startup, we were working on a different product uh, in the uh, sales tech space, and uh, when we um, when we started exploring uh, the world of large language models, uh, it was a complete bringing together of things that we had done up until today. So all the CX work that we had done as customer uh, success uh, managers, the AI work that we had done building AutoML, uh, and the data work we had done as data engineers, all of that came together in a very, um, very, uh, you know, synchronized way. And for us, it was like, oh my goodness, the stuff that we are able to do, uh, and the stuff that we are able to do quickly is very natural to what we have done in the past compared to somebody else who may try to do this, there will be um, a steep learning curve in different aspects of building a product like this. And so we realized very quickly that we already had the right fit to build a product like this. In the Mm -hmm. startup space, people call this a founder market fit. And uh, we heard the term in the past and uh, this is the first time we realized
1: that, yeah, that makes sense. Holy cow, we found it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, the customer experience. That was one of the things that I noticed. I watched the demo that you did with one of my colleagues on YouTube and, and, and it just, it seems so easy to navigate. I, I mean, was, was user experience something that you guys were really focused on from the start?
0: Yes, um, yesterday I tweeted uh, a short thought. Uh, that um, AI may have changed a lot of things, but building a business is still what, what it is. It's building a business. Mm-hmm. And building a business is essentially discovering a problem, um, speaking to enough people, and realizing that that problem is not just in your head, that problem is real and other people are able to say that, yes, uh, this is a problem we face and we'd love to have it solved. And then to be able to build a product that fits into the workflow of people who need to use it. So in our case, our users are uh, technical support agents. And their day in the life is they come in the morning, they um, pull up their queue, their mailbox, and they see a whole bunch of support tickets they need to address. They pick a few they want to work on. And uh, they work within either a mailbox, or within a Zendesk, or a ServiceNow, or a Salesforce service cloud. And so what we think of constantly is, how can you fit into uh, their workflow? And how can you make their workflow better and easier to do, rather than having to break the workflow that they're doing? Right? And so good products are essentially products that uh, become part of somebody's workflow. and uh, help humans become more productive and
1: and that's a good point to, to to uh mention for anyone who's listening who's new is that twig is part of a workflow it's not trying to replace or create someone's entire workflow it's it's a tool to use within it
0: that is true that is true and um many uh, years ago i worked with a data company and uh, um, we had built beautiful analytics dashboards, and uh, we um, you know being a curious uh, you know engineer, I would speak to our users and say, "Hey, how are you using this tool and how are you using this tool right And what surprised me most was our users were not using our tool to look at those beautiful, highly sculpted you know very colorful analytics, but they using our tool was to download very specific reports and going to their, uh, you know, Wednesday meeting with their management to review their operational stats of, you know, how was our inventory uh, and how much we were selling. And for me, this was a very counterintuitive thing. I was like, wait a minute, this is, we have such beautiful reporting here, but why are people not using it? Turns out that all our users had a workflow, they would, uh, you know, we would report on sales and inventory data and uh, our users um, were people who depended on this data to conduct business. So they would go into their operational meetings and they had to report on how much stock we had of this product in the West West Coast, how much, um, how much sales did we intend to do and how much did we do and what they needed for that was data. and so. Uh, although we had beautiful uh, reporting, all the users wanted was an easy way to pull the data they needed to pull to go into that operational meeting and conduct that business. And so mm-hmm. my takeaway from that experience was um, learn what the workflow is. Learn what people are doing every day and try to see how you can make that process better. And uh, that is funda- you know, very important because what happens is When you're part of a workflow, there is no question of uh, whether somebody is going to use your product or not. They don't have a choice but to come in every day and use the product. And so adoption increases, uh,
1: the the daily
0: average users increase. It just becomes very natural.
1: Mm -hmm. Since a good portion of our audience are engineers, one of the questions I I like to ask my guests is what makes a great engineer. You've worked in a lot of different tech roles. In your experience, what are the qualities someone needs to be successful when, when jumping on board with a startup like, like yours?
0: Yeah. Um, every product goes through uh, a series of phases. There is the discovery phase, there is a uh, adoption phase, and there is a scale up phase. And the skills one needs in different phases are very different. In the discovery phase, you are essentially trying different things, putting it in front of users, getting feedback, creating a new version of the product, iterating on a a V2 or V3 or V4. So in the discovery phase, your skills have to be rapid prototyping and rapid shipping. In the uh, adoption phase, um, the customers have said, yes, I like this, I'm going to sign a contract, I'm going to start using the product. During that phase, what customers expect is they're going to give you feedback. They're going to say, hey, this is broken, or hey, I'd like to do this. And user delight comes when you can take that feedback, not implement what customers asked for, but try to understand what customers are really asking for, right? So when customers ask, suggest a solution, you take a step back and you try to understand what is the problem. And you you listen to all the feedback you can get on um, solutions, but as an engineer, don't just go and build it, right? Take a step back, figure out what is the right solution that needs to be built and solve the problem. Don't just sort of build everything that everybody asks for, right? So that's sort of the adoption phase. And then there's a phase called that is scaling, right? And often we see companies only when they are in the scaling phase. We see most people would have seen Facebook when it was um, you know, blowing up the charts. Uh, uh-huh. OpenAI Open has uh, its models out for three years now.
1: And uh, most
0: people are aware of it only for the last few months. Right? Yeah, for and sure.
1: So, I'd say 99.9% of people. Yeah. Right? And uh, so that is the
0: scaling up this, which
1: is, um, you're not trying to change a whole lot in the product,
0: but you're trying to make the product just work at scale. And the mm-hmm. skills required over there is, how do I optimize my database? How do I optimize my APIs? How do I prevent my, how do I scale horizontally, right? My, machi- my code running on multiple machines at the same time without breaking. How do I do security? So the skills are very different. In the uh prototype phase, you just need to be able to build quickly and ship things that people are asking for to get them to a point that they say, yes, this makes sense, I want it. In the adoption phase, you need to build shippable product uh, that people can use. And in the scale phase, you're focusing on um, you know performance, reliability, and those things. So very different problems, and uh, uh, so this brings to a point, when people say, I am ex-Google or ex-YouTube, ex-You, you, know, you need to ask yourself, at what, what stage in the journey of Google or YouTube were these people part of that company, mm-hmm. right? Were they That's there point. when they were building the first version of the product or were, did they join the company 20 years later? And so you must realize that those people that you bring in, bring those kinds of experiences, right? Um, were they bringing the scaling experience, their option experience, or the rapid prototyping experience? And all of them are... Uh, valuable as an engineer one must realize that uh, their own um, uh, their own skills must change to fit into these different phases if they don't what will happen is somebody that's really good at rapid prototyping may just not be able to write good code that can scale and so um, then what do they do right so then you a good team what they would do is they would create different, if they can, they would create different sub-teams within the org where people with the skill of rapid prototyping would be constantly working on the bleeding edge of the product, right, trying new things, et cetera. And people who don't like change, who just want to focus on the most elegant code that can scale will be put on teams that focus on scaling. And so um, you don't have to be everything to everybody, but you need to realize that these are very different skills that are required in the journey.
1: Well, that's an interesting point. I haven't thought about it like that. I read your blog from a few years ago about your attempt at making your own caramel corn. And I I'm originally from Chicago, so I'm well versed in the in Garrett's popcorn, which you, you mentioned in your blog post. And I also I also like to cook as well. Are you do you like to cook? Very much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of thought so just based on that. I mean that you know caramel's hard that's that's a very ambitious ambitious thing to do so oftentimes cooking, especially baking is very scientific do you Do you think that your engineering mind is helps you a lot in in the kitchen
0: That's a great question maybe maybe, but cooking is a way for me to um do something different than mm-hmm. what I do all day and so I may be using some of my skills, but I definitely am not thinking about. It in a, you know, a, a very structured way. I it's cook maybe maybe I'm, a little
1: more subconscious. Yeah, yeah.
0: I cook because I uh, um, like to do something different for a few hours, and uh, um, I enjoy. You know, as a founder, you should enjoy sort of making stuff
1: and uh, creating. The cooking yeah. is a the, is the way to make yeah. stuff. What's your best dish?
0: So, my best dish is always a factor of what my kids love to eat right now. <laughs> and yeah. uh, just this afternoon, I made some uh, grilled chicken, which my four-year-old loves. Um, it's, uh, it's a soy chicken, and uh, it, it's like barbecue chicken. I use soy to get that flavor. And my four year old calls it
1: solely chicken. So that's what we all call it. Soli <laughs> <Sully> chicken? Yes. <laughs> nice. You, your four year old invented a dish. That's great. <laughs> there are other AI driven customer support solutions out there. What makes Twig unique?
0: Yeah. That's a great question. We think about it all the time, and, uh, you know, uh, When we speak with customers, when we speak with investors, sometimes this question comes up. And I like to think about this problem in a few different dimensions. The first one is just um, focus on one thing and one thing only. We are focusing on technical support. And uh, the fact that we're able to focus on one problem allows us to go deep into solving that problem in waste it is very counterintuitive if you're trying to build a generic product mm, so if you think okay. about technical support as a problem what is unique about it compared to let's say customer support at an airline or at a bank mm-hmm.
1: is technical so you find to, you find kind of a niche is kind of what you you kind of found niche, a niche right? and, and pushed into that yeah that's that's, yes. that's a good so way to it's go it's a niche
0: the questions are complex the answers often are not a single line it's not yes or no or a number It is often it is a multi-step response on what you need to do. Uh, It needs making sense of multiple sources of information. Often there is no right answer written out there. And all of these require different kinds of problem solving. So for instance, we, um, you know, have uh, something called multi-step reasoning, which is able to take a problem, break it up into its components, Try to, to find the answer for each of those components and then synthesize the answer from that. And you don't need that kind of a heavy uh, solution to say, um, how, am I going, how much am I going to pay for my uh, Verizon bill this month? right? Um, or uh, is my flight on time? You don't need that kind of a solution to solve those problems. It's very unique to technical support. So going, uh, going deep into one problem space is how we differentiate And uh, that is what our customers really appreciate because we are doing one thing. And um, I literally um, told a customer yesterday who wanted a e-commerce solution that would help prevent people from cancellations. I told them that, sorry, we don't do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I pointed them to other solutions in the market that do that well. Um, and I told them that here's what we do. And uh, you mentioned you have this problem and we are happy to solve it, but we don't do cancellations. And uh, we don't have that anywhere in our short-term roadmap. And I'm happy to introduce you to this. And that's, I believe, essential to keeping a company on track, being able to focus on one problem and being able to stick to it until you're really, really good at doing that one thing really well.
1: I think that's smart. It's almost kind of like what you said before about engineers, about not having to be everything for everybody, but you know, finding that finding that niche or, or niche, depending on who you are.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the one thing Kevin I have seen is I go to quite a few hackathons, and I see lots of very interesting solutions there. Um, the journey from a hackathon to a business, a company that. As customers, as product, um, is a very uh, interesting journey. In that, um, you will have to be very critical about who you are and who you are not, and you will have to pick a lane and stick to it until you're really good at it. Mm-hmm. And when you get really good at it, you can say you can then you then have earned the uh, rights to say I can do this other thing as well, but not until you are exceptionally good at that one thing that you claim to uh, to offer,
1: and and Twig learns and improves. I, I saw that in the demo. Uh, explain how. Explain how uh, Twig does that. Yeah.
0: So um, our essentially what we do is our fundamental layer is we ingest all your data, and uh, we extract from that. Uh, Embeddings and often the embeddings are uh, from fine tuned models that we have built ourselves. So these are fine tuned embeddings. We um, are also able to uh, have, when a user asks a question, we are able to then break it down into its components, um, find answers for each component, and then synthesize the response that we get. Um, Every time the user, um, uh, the technical support agent gets a response that we propose. Um, the agent has the ability to say, yes, I like this answer or no, give me a different answer. And uh, that behavior of the agent is captured. And uh, we store those responses. And so we know what our uh, models proposed as an answer, and whether a human accepted or rejected that answer. And if mm-hmm. they made an edit to that answer, or if they took a new answer, we can see what those, um, what the behavior was. We store all of this information and then when we retrain the model, we're able to uh, provide information to our models that for this question, these were the answers that were accepted and these were the answers that were not accepted. And so the next time the model uh, gives an answer, it takes into account the feedback that it has. Now, there are a few approaches to this (coughs) and OpenAI is, most uh, fundamentally important approach to this was the RLHF model, which is uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback. Uh, there's also another approach uh, that says, you can do the same thing, but instead of human feedback, you use AI feedback. And um, essentially it's another model trying to uh, say whether this answer is right or wrong. And uh, right now we're using a human feedback model to uh, inform the model whether it was right. And how it can be better the next time.
1: How, how, do, how do you see the relationship between humans and AI coworkers playing out? So many years ago, um, Steve
0: Jobs talked about uh, um, humans being very good tool builders, and uh, he gave an example of uh, a um, research that was done where they measured how efficient different animals were. And uh, they found that the condor was the most efficient in going from point A to point B. And uh, humans were way down that, that list. They were very inefficient. I'm not surprised to hear that. on the team said, <laughs> why don't we measure a human on a bicycle and see how efficient a human on a bicycle is going to be. And a human on a bicycle um, beat the condor, and was way off the charts. Really? Huh. And um, all right. What Steve Jobs? humans. (laughs) uh, Mentioned that, and he talks about how humans are great because we build tools, and tools make us better than everybody else. I look at AI as a tool, and. um, just like it does not make sense to compute something without a computer today, or without a calculator 20 years ago, or without um, you know a car 20 years before that, or without a wheel 100 years or several hundred years before that, um, AI is another tool. And uh, everyone is going to use AI in what they do. And uh, people who use AI are going to have an edge over everybody else. And uh, everybody else will catch up. You, We'll get to a point where um, if you do our job without AI, it'll be a very inefficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, my belief is AI will make us better um, and not, uh, not replace us.
1: AI ethics is a subject you hear a lot about. What do you think is the most pressing? ethical challenge or consideration that AI developers need to prioritize?
0: That's a great question. Um, Often we think about, so AI ethics is a multi-dimensional problem, right? Um, The different, uh, and when I say multi-dimensional, what I mean is how is AI impacting? How is the outcome of AI? How is the presence of AI impacting somebody? And how is the outcome of AI impacting somebody? So often, when I when you think about AI and its impact, you think about jobs and how sure. lots of jobs may be lost, right? And that is the kind of inevitable.
1: Of I feel like at this point,
0: yeah, yeah, and that is the presence of AI being a problem, right? Um, sure. Something becoming so inefficient, so efficient that. Uh, you just don't need as many people to do it and so uh, that is a uh, a presence problem the the other problem with AI I can think of is a outcome problem which is let's say you go into a bank and ask for a mortgage and an AI that the bank is using is going to say sorry I can't give you a mortgage and uh, everybody who built the ai and who's using the ai may be well trained or well meaning but just the fact that the ai was trained on data that um, reflected systemic inequalities the ai just learned to be systematic systematically unequal in its response mm-hmm. right and so the output of ai um, even um, even the best-meaning people may create something that uh, isn't right. And so um, the outcome of AI is the other AI ethics problem that one needs to think about. And um, I strongly believe we will find solutions to uh, these problems. Um, It is, uh, what may happen though is the, the problem and the solution may not happen at the same time um, so often there's a lag between when the problem occurs and when the solution is available. And so we may see some sure. um, issues as a result uh, in different fields, but uh, this is something that every um, company needs to think about. And I think one of the ways to uh, solve this problem in a conscious way is to be explicit about the use of AI. For instance, um, let's say let's take the bank example, right? If a mortgage was denied, uh, then it makes sense if the AI can explain its logic behind why it said what it said, and that would uh, really help people uh, believe in it and uh, adopt it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, kind of back up back up their uh, their decisions or their answers yeah
0: yeah there's a word for it in the AI space uh, there is it's called explain explainability and so they try to um, use simpler models to come up with the same response and then uh, then that simpler, simpler model tries to explain why uh, it said what it said, which can be a good proxy to uh, what the model really did, um, mm-hmm. but being able any place where uh, AI can impact an outcome uh, it is important that AI can justify its actions
1: What are you most excited about as far as the outcomes AI can improve where where do you where are you most excited to see what AI can do
0: It's a great question Kevin. Um, I think we are at the beginning of something fundamentally huge, and um, the best attempts are going to be underwhelming at trying to predict what the future will look like. Right? Um, think of uh, think of um, nineteen ninety five or ninety six when uh, the internet was um, there and people were. Thinking about what this could have done. Um, and even, um, I'll give you a few interesting examples. So, WebVan was one of the biggest, biggest failures in its time. Um, but today, um, Instacart is doing exactly the same thing, but is a huge success. And mm-hmm. so, a lot of ideas will uh, be shared, a lot of ideas will fail at the moment. But five, ten years from there, those exact same ideas will work because a lot of things that were required for those ideas to work will now have been proved. And so it's hard to say which ideas are uh, now and which ideas are not. But the best way to think about um, building a business around AI is to think about what can I do right now that is really moving the needle, and uh, that will always be a true way to solve problems. Um, what am I excited about? Um, just the space that we're working on. We uh, The things that we are able to do with technical support is um, something I wouldn't have imagined myself. Sometimes mm-hmm. I see the answers that we produce, and they're pretty impressive answers. <laughs> and it takes me a long time to make sense of how did we arrive at this answer? Because, you know, we do QA on these answers and we need to go back and see where does this come from. Sometimes it's not, not a straight line because these are mm. answers synthesized from a lot of data. And so um, we are very excited about technical support.
1: Well, I imagine you would be, given, the, given what you're doing. <laughs> uh, all right, final question. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with your younger self, what piece of wisdom or advice would you share based on the experiences and knowledge you've gained through your journey in AI and entrepreneurship?
0: Yeah. um, I would say the most counterintuitive thing I have discovered is the power of persistence and uh, often If you've seen the movie, what's the movie in which Forrest Gump, right? Forrest Gump is uh, doing, um, running a ship boat Mm -hmm. and he's getting no ship and there's this huge uh, hurricane or something like that and all the boats, um, you know, are not operational anymore. And now. just because they were out far out in the sea, they survived. And uh, uh, now they have all the shrimp they can ask for in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that.
0: <laughs> um per- persistence is very much like that, which is when there is noise, there are a lot of people trying to do what you do. And uh, the difference between uh, everybody and the people that last are, are, is just that they found a way to survive. And the way to survive is to find paying customers, to find investors who will believe in you and invest in giving you a runway that will help you succeed. Uh, Or there may be other ways to achieve that goal. Um, But being able to be persistent is the most not so sexy uh, (laughs) statement, but uh, apparently it is a superpower that allows people to uh, stay longer than anybody else and build things of value that uh, are very hard to create otherwise.
1: Yeah, it's probably easy to get defeated in the space. You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of competition. It's a lot of dedication. And yeah, persistence makes perfect sense is something that you would need. That is uh, very much true. All right. Well, the website is twig.so. Uh, you're doing a waitlist now. Is that correct?
0: Yes, we're doing a wait list. We try to interview each potential customer and we work with them only if it is a fit. Uh, So we focus on technical support. Uh, Our customers are companies with uh, products that have complex uh, scenarios and uh, their customers ask questions that require looking up knowledge bases, documentation, historic tickets and so on. So uh, the more complex the problem, the more, the better fit
1: that we are for that. Great. Well, thanks, thanks Chandan. I really appreciate your time, and it was great talking with you. Thank you, Kevin. You have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks to everyone watching and listening. Until next time, stay curious, stay creative.